welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. Join your host, Rhonda Arl and Laura Forehand. We want to help you as teachers reach your full potential by keeping you up to date with all the latest and best Whole Brain Teaching strategies. Whole Brain Teaching is a grassroots educational reform movement founded by Coach Chris Biffle, Jay Vanderfin, and Chris Rexstad. Whole Brain Teaching's goal is to create peaceful classrooms through orderly fun. To support the podcast, please like and share with other teachers. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. And now, here are Laura and Rhonda. Welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. I'm Laura Forehand. I am here, as always, with my Whole Brain Teaching best friend, um, confidant, advisor, <laughs> Rhonda. How are you today, Rhonda? I'm doing great, Laura. So great to be here again with Coach. Mm-hmm. And Coach Chris Biffle is the founder of Whole Brain Teaching, I'm sure as you all know. And the last time on the podcast, Coach talked with us about the new brain discovery that revolutionizes um, instruction in a whole brain teaching classroom, but that was only part one. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, we want to encourage you to do so. And today our conversation with coach will be part two. So I know everyone is just as excited about part two as Laura and I are. So let's dive right in. Welcome back to the podcast, coach. I'm more than delighted to be here. This is a huge day in my own understanding of whole brain teaching, my own understanding of the brain. But let's start by reviewing what we said before. There's something big coming, my friends, at the end of this podcast. And I really would like everyone to have a sheet of paper. Now, you probably won't be able to if you're listening while you're driving, but it's so important. There's something specific I want you to do. Laura. Mm -hmm. As a philosophy professor, I I want to talk about philosophy sometimes. So let's talk about Aristotle. We did last time. Mm-hmm. Aristotle said, Laura, that there are four questions that we need answers to to understand anything, whether it's snails or governments or the brain. The four questions are, what is the thing made of? What is its matter? The second question is, where did it come from? Laura, give me the first two questions. Okay, so Aristotle had four questions. And the first question was, what is the thing made of? Or what is its matter? And the second is, where did it come from? Rhonda, the next two questions are, What does it hold in common with all other things that are like it? So you couldn't say that cars hold in common color. It isn't color that makes a car a car. It's that it is a method of travel involving a gas or electric engine. That's the essence of car. It's not color. It is uh, not sh- not exactly shape because cars can come in many shapes. 
So the third question we have to hold ask is, what does a thing hold in common with all other similar things? Rhonda, that one's yours. All right. So this third question is, what does it hold in common with things like it or things similar to it? Yes. And Rhonda, the last question is the burning question. What is the thing's purpose? So you might know that cars are made of metal. You might know that cars come from the car factory. You might know that cars have engines, but if you didn't know a car's purpose, you couldn't really be said to understand a car. Go back over that, Rhonda. You're talking to Aristotle with your coach. Go. Okay. So this last question we're focusing in is what is the thing's purpose? And um, as we go along with that, we see, like you mentioned, the purpose of a car. So it ties in with that, the purpose now, of the other. Laura, let's look at these four questions because they're crucial. Let's take a key. So, Laura, what is a key's material? Some type of metal. Very good. What is a key's origin? Where do keys come from? Um, I'm assuming that someone made it at one yes. point in history. The key factory. Mm -hmm. And what do keys hold in common with other keys? Is it color? No. It's, yes. it's used to unlock something. Yes. Now... The purpose of a key is very similar to what it holds in common with other things. You could use a key for many, many things. But if you didn't know it was for unlocking, a key would be useless to you. Mm -hmm. the understanding a purpose is very often in common with what it holds in common with other sorts of things. Now, let's take the case of human beings. Let's take the case of kids. So, oh, Rhonda, what is the matter, not matter with kids, what is the matter of kids? Go, Rhonda. So I would think like it would be like organs and cells and things like that, correct? Absolutely. And Laura, mm -hmm. your mama told you, where do kids come from? They come from other, from adults, from parents, from, yeah. Now, we can't say that the essence of kids is their shape because they come in many sizes and shapes, and some kids have different sort of configurations. Some kids are missing a limb, or some kids have other sorts of things. But what kids hold in common with all other kids, we're going to say for a second, is something very general, human nature. Kids have human nature in common with other kids and not in common with chimpanzees or locomotives. Now, here's the question, Laura. What is the purpose of human life? What is, the, what is a child's purpose? Laura, would you at least admit that's a big burning question that we really need to understand if we're going to be going in and dealing with kids every day. Yeah. What are they for? What do they do the best? What are they designed for? 
Would you admit, Laura, that that's a big question? Yeah, that is a really big question and and really worth exploring. Connection was the first thing that came to my mind. Relationships, things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, Rhonda, philosophers have said the purpose of human life is many different kinds of things. Plato said the purpose of human life is to think about the higher world and Aristotle said the purpose of life was something called eudaimonia, which was to be a flourishing human being. But I'm following a path that's been investigated by many neuroscientists, one of whom is Matthew Lieberman, wrote a great book called Social at UCLA, who makes the unusual claim that what the purpose of the brain is is to make connections with other brains now Rhonda we might want to say that the purpose of human life or brains is to be nourished and you know to survive but unless you're making a connection with another human being you're not going to survive, you're not going to be nourished, you're not going to be cared for. So we're operating now in whole brain teaching on this new but very common sense notion that the purpose of human life, kids' purpose is to connect with others, and they feel pain when they don't, which makes them want to connect some more. Rhonda, talk about where we're going and cross your fingers because it's going to get wildly intriguing. Go. Okay. Well, according to Lieberman in his book, Social, he says that you need to make connections with other people or other brains um, of those people. And if you don't, there's pain involved with that and you want to make that connection any, even more. And what I thought about was how social media that must be why it's so popular is people are wanting to make those connections all the time. Wait a second, Rhonda. Did you say social media? Yeah. <laughs> Laura, would it surprise you to know that teenagers, on average, text each other 50 to 100 times per day? Some way more, some less. Does that shock you, Laura? Not at all. Not at all. Does that tell you anything about <laughs> what is imperative for teens? What does it tell you about their brain? What does their brain need? They're starving for that connection. Yes. Yeah. Now, ladies, this is, this is going to be a little aggravating. I'm going to ring a bell. And I'm not going to ring the bell 50 times. I'm going to ring the bell 10 times. And we're going to just imagine that the bell signals a kid is texting another kid. And what the bell says, Laura, is, do I belong? Do I belong? Do I belong? Here we go. Laura, you count them. Okay. And... Uh, each time I ring the bell, just say one and say, do I belong? Here we go. Ready? 
You're supposed to say, do I belong? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the bell. I apologize. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> tell me, tell me, ladies, if you hear the bell. I'm not hearing it. Are you? No. So much for the bell. All right. I will be the bell. Okay. I'll go ding and you say, do I belong? And Rhonda, you count. We'll make it really complicated here. Ding. Do I belong? One. Ding. Do I belong? Two. Ding. Do I belong? Three. Ding. Do I belong? Four. Ding. Do I belong? Five, ding. Do I belong? Six, ding. Do I belong? Seven, ding. Do I belong? Eight, ding. Do I belong? Nine, ding. Do I belong? Ten, ding. Do I belong? Fifty times a day, <laughs> at minimum, do I belong? We said last time that Lieberman and other neuroscientists are investigating areas of the brain that we have not considered in whole brain teaching as much as we should have. There's an area of the brain, which we will abbreviate as DAC, D-A-C-C, the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. When you skin your knee, Rhonda, the DAC shows activity. When a classmate says to you, you're a doofus, the DAC shows activity. The DAC registers physical pain and social pain, same thing. And you and I and all of us know as teachers, social pain lasts longer and is more penetrating and is harder to get rid of than physical pain. Rhonda, talk about the DAC, physical and social pain, go. All right, the DAC can register both physical and social pain. And what really stood out to me, what you said is the social pain is worse or lasts longer than the physical pain does. This, why we, this is why I once had a teacher just last week that say, a kid comes in from recess and they're really upset because something happened on the playground. And I say, we don't have time for that. You've got to get over it. We've got to get into math. What we're doing is, Laura, we are ignoring the reality of social exclusion. Mm -hmm. Bullying, words, just because of your background feeling like you don't belong, it hurts. And when it hurts, my friend, you cannot learn. I will say that again, boys and girls, brothers and sisters around the world. When your DAC hurts you, you cannot learn. Pain overcomes the activity of the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus, etc. Laura, have you ever witnessed a kid unable to learn because of social pain? Go, Laura. Absolutely. And the thing is, the thing I thought about while you were saying that, Coach, is sometimes we can see that physically manifest itself, like a, a student will put their head down on their desk, or you can see them, you know, cry, or their shoulders are slumped. But sometimes we don't see that manifesting physically, but they they have just turned off that part of their brain that is that is supposed to be learning because the DAC has overtaken 
like you said, that prefrontal cortex, that reasoning part of our brain. Now, Rhonda, here's the new material. <clears throat> Lieberman and others put a married couple in a lab and the woman is in the MRI machine so that they can see what's going on in her brain and the man is sitting next to her. And occasionally the man gets an electric shock. And we look inside the woman's brain to see what is happening when someone she cares about is suffering. There's a small area towards the front of the limbic system called the septal area, S-E-P-T-A-L. The septal area shows activity when we're feeling someone else's pain. Rhonda, yes. run that back. And if you need help, just say, Coach, help me. <laughs> I'll okay. do the best I can. So we found out that the septal area of your brain shows activity when someone else is being hurt or harmed. Now, Laura, it is very possible, and Lieberman points this out, that the septal area can be activated and you head the other direction. For example, he gives an, the case of he was watching TV one night, he saw suffering, starving children, and where he would usually turn it off, he gave a donation, but he never gave a donation again. Sometimes our reaction to the pain of others is that we can't take it. Our septal area is activated and we make the choice to leave the situation. We'll call that, or invented term, negative septimalizing, and we'll keep spelling it different ways. Laura, talk about the septal area and what happens when we feel another's pain, but we can't handle it. Go. Yeah. Um, I think I've been there. Um, that that septal area, when it becomes activated, sometimes the pain feels so great that we can't even take it. And so we may move away or leave that situation. Laura, you're a teacher. You've been in a situation, end of a tough day, and as we said, the kid is on your last nerve, and you just can't handle it. You're feeling their pain, but you can't take any more of their pain. True confessions, Laura. I know Rhonda has never been through anything like that, but we'll just pretend like Laura. Go ahead, Laura. Talk about it. Yep. I, I absolutely had. In fact, it was just last week uh, I had a student that – um, was kind of in crisis mode, having, for lack of a better term, a meltdown. And yeah, it was the end of the day and it had been like that all day. And so while part of me was having some compassion for a situation, another part of me was just like, I'm kind of done with this for the day. Yeah. Okay. So it's all right. Be aware of that in yourself. Now, 
what Lieberman is interested in and what we're interested in is not only when you feel another's pain, but when you do something about it. We will call that completed empathy. I feel it, and I'm going to do something about it. Teachers feel this completed empathy many times a day. Here's the experiment. Rhonda, Lieberman had married men and women and saw the amount of activity in the septal area of the woman when feeling the her mate's pain. During the week, the woman filled out a questionnaire and one of the items on the questionnaire had to do with how many people did you help this week? What did you do to help other people, etc.? Explain that part of it, Laura. I mean, Rhonda, explain that part of it. Okay, so after that first experiment, if I'm understanding right, then um, the wife was completing a survey on how she felt during the week. Is that right? How often did she help other people? Help other people, that's right. Here's the deal, Laura. They looked at the results of the survey, and so let's say a woman put down that she helped five other people or had five other occasions when she offered aid or assistance, and another person had 25. They put her back in the MRI, and women who scored highest helping others during the week showed the most septal activity when feeling their partner's pain. What that means is, is that there is a specific area of the brain that's laser focused on not just feeling empathy, but doing something about it. Mm. And that's what we need more of in our classrooms. We'll talk about how to get there as soon as we get over this little jump. It's not going to be part three, ladies. Laura, talk about where we're going, the septal area, and certain individuals who have the most activity there are the ones who are doing the most kind acts. Yeah. Go. Yeah, and in this particular experiment, it was women that scored highest um, had the most septal activity and so that's that's telling us that that one area of our brain is is wanting to do something when we see someone is in need. All right. Now, this shows us that we're kind of on the right track in whole brain teaching because we are doing these kinds of activities. And one of our newest activities, which I want all of my listeners to try because it's so easy to describe, We'll call it Rochambeau. Rochambeau is French for paper, rock, and scissors. You set a timer for two minutes. They play Rochambeau. 
and the winner gives the loser a compliment. And you do that for two minutes. So kids, as part of the game, are doing something specifically nice. They're completing the empathy loop, making contact, and it's physical contact as well, making contact with another person, saying something nice, hearing a compliment. Rochambeau is septal intensive, but we're going to make it even better. Laura, have you played Rochambeau? And if you haven't, why not? <laughs> I have, Coach. Yep. I typically um, am the loser, but yes, I've played. <laughs> All right. So what we need more of in our classroom are activities where kids don't just feel kindly to other kids, but they act kindly as well. Rocco and Binky is one of our games, but let's just talk about how to increase septal activity in our kids. Step one, have compliment practice in class. And we've said in the past that there are two kinds of compliments, shallow and deep. Shallow compliments are about appearance, nice shoes, good hair, what a pretty smile, what a great backpack. That, those are shallow compliments. Rhonda, talk about shallow compliments. Okay, your shallow compliments are just, to me, like surface compliments, complimenting their hair, their shirt, their shoes, things like that. Deep compliments are compliments about actions. A teacher said the other day in a meeting, I had a, I played Rochambeau with a child, they won, and they said, I, I like your voice. And she said, I felt good about that for, the, for a long time. I like your voice. Not your hair, not your shoes, but your voice. Oh, something inside you. Laura, deep compliments are about actions, personality characteristics. Mm -hmm. So let's have compliment practice so that we can set ourselves up for powerful septal activation later. Laura, talk about the importance of compliment practice. Go. I love compliment practice, and I love teaching the difference between deep and shallow compliments. And the thing I think about a lot of times is, like, when we give those shallow compliments, like Rhonda was talking about, you know, I like your shoes, I like your shirt. We have to remember those maybe lower income kids that don't have all the nice things all the time. So I do love the deep compliments and practicing that because it's about, you know, complimenting them on their personality characteristics. Everybody can be kind. Everybody can be a hard worker. Everybody can have grit from time to time. So that's why I love those deep compliments so much because they don't single certain students out over other students. And I think Miranda. kids need that practice because uh -huh. they yes. don't know how to give a deep compliment. Yes. They don't. They hardly know how to give a compliment. Okay. Right. Now, let us say there's shallow compliments deep compliments, and deepest compliments. What I'd like to hear from you, Laura, is not, Coach, you're a nice guy. But when you help that teacher 
who is having a kid with math meltdowns. That was really a good thing to do. The deepest compliments are about specific actions. Because when you tell me I was a good fellow when I helped that person with the math meltdowns, that goes into my memory, and I know specifically what I should be trying for later. Shallow, deep, deepest compliments. Shallow about appearance. Deep about actions, personality. Deepest about specific, kind, good, positive things that you observed in the other person. Explain those three levels of compliments. Because this is septal instruction. Go. So our shallow is our shallow compliments are just like about appearance. Um, I love how Rhonda explained that earlier. Deep is about actions, personal personality characteristics, but our deepest, that's going to be a specific action that I point out that I'm complimenting in, in another person or a student. And so you have compliment practice. I think you can have compliment practice twice a day, morning and afternoon. I mean, it's a skill. And we're saying it's the most important skill because what the mind wants to do is connect with others. What the mind wants to do is connect with others. All right. So you have compliment practice a couple times a day and you help kids move in the direction of deep compliments, which means they're going to be alerted to specific things they're doing and other people are doing that are making the septal connection. And then here's my suggestion. We say that whenever kids enter the room, you should play Fiverr, which means they're going to show on their chest one to five how they're feeling. Then, as soon as you get everybody seated, I think you play Rochambeau for two minutes. And you have kids with different partners, maybe change partners every week, and kids are giving each other the deepest possible compliments, which is producing something we've always talked about. We're not too far off the target. It's called alpha hawking. What's an alpha hawk? Someone who lives for others. So here's the pattern, Fiverr, Rochambeau, assess the success, and if you think people are improving in deep compliments, roll a dice for the whole class. Simple, powerful, central to human needs. Laura, talk about it. I love this idea, Coach. Um, we play Fiverr every morning, and so I, I think and, and then they come in and they, they usually have a vocabulary task on their desk, but they're done. They're done in like five minutes. So what a great way to transition to the rest of our day is play two minutes of Rochambeau and, and get those, you know, keep working on those really those deepest compliments. And when I see improvement on those deepest compliments, then we can do a dice roll. My kids love dice rolls. Love them. Rhonda, what are you thinking? You're ready to go back to teaching. I know, Rhonda, it is time. No think, more retirement, girl. I think this is a great idea. I mean, what's really striking me the most is that compliment practice for that Rochambeau to be super effective. Yes. 
what a great way to start your day, right? Or even start your afternoon. So after lunch, you come back in and before we start our afternoon, play Rochambeau and, and really increase those endorphins and that, that septal part of our brain. Love it. All right, my friends, that's part two. Um, we just put on Facebook Super Improver a new version of Mind Vacations, but we'll talk about that next week. God bless us all. What fun it is. I'm getting septal connections right now with two of my best friends, Laura and Ronald. We're on the same beam, man. Yes, yes. Right. Coach, you continue to amaze us with this great information. I am so thankful um, if I had to give you a deep compliment right now, I'm so thankful that you continue to do the hard work of learning about the brain. Um, you know, you could so easily just be like, I've written my books, I'm done. And yet you still dig deeper in order to bring us more information about the brains and how we can continue to connect with each other and with our students. So um, thank you for all the amazing work that you do. Um, this has been another great podcast and we know it's going to help so many teachers. I mean, it, even if you're not a teacher, I'm looking at Rhonda right now, even if you're not a teacher, what a great way to improve just relationships, right? You don't have to be in the classroom just to improve those relationships. So again, we want to encourage our listeners to listen and share all of Coach's amazing podcasts. In addition, we will definitely, or excuse me, you will definitely want a copy of Coach's latest book, Whole Brain Teaching for Challenging Kids. That's the second edition, which you can purchase on Amazon. We have so many resources to help you with your whole brain teaching journey. So check out our website, which is www.wholebrainteaching.com for information and videos. And we have a whole brain teaching official store on Teachers Pay Teachers. And just remember that everything is free on that. So please don't pay for anything. Check out our Facebook pages. I think we coach brought up the super improver. Um, that's just one of many of our Facebook pages where you will get any and all support that you need. Absolutely. Coach, as always, we can't thank you enough for all that you do for us and your time and everything. Um, it's helping so many teachers around the world. We also want to thank you, our listeners. Please continue to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with all your teacher friends and administrators so we can make this podcast dream of our 200,000 downloads a reality by the end of 2024 school year. So until next time, bye-bye.